Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 78. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop dancing flamenco and everything for like four months. When I was like getting into the fifth month, I told him like, I'm going crazy. I need to dance something. I had to stop salsa, flamenco, and mm. I do dance like bachata and stuff, but just for hobby. And he was like, okay, you have to find something that doesn't have a high impact on your feet. Angelina, you the cool in my temperature. If you call, I go come deliver. I no go fall in your hand never. So now me, you could love forever. I'm a cocky, no feeble letter. I'm a Angelina, Angelina, I'm a Angelina, Angelina. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another episode this week. And this week I have one of my good friends that I had a chance to meet late last year as she was traveling in Texas and we got a chance to train and do some videos that I haven't edited yet, but it's going to happen. I have faith. <laughs> I have my good friend Isabel here on the podcast. How are you doing, Isabel? Great. I'm great. How are you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. This year has been crazy. We had some plans that we were going to see into the vision of 2021 that did not happen because of 2020. Yeah, but we probably I'm gonna we're gonna do that still. Like we have to trust <laughs> that next year is gonna be different. We're gonna make it. <laughs> so, um, how has life been for you? And since you were in Texas, I know you were here in Texas and you were dancing with some people in Austin and in Dallas and places like that. And I know you went to One Kids. So, um, for those people who haven't heard from you since One Kids. Um, what has been what has been your life? Okay, so I stayed in the United States until March, and mm -hmm. middle March I came here to Argentina because I have to do some papers, and the quarantine just hit me like two days right after I got here. Mm. So I, I had to stay in my home like for fifteen days for because I was traveling, I was flying, so mm -hmm. it's kind of of an issue. And then we are still in quarantine. Like Argentina has the longest quarantine from like in the whole world. Like we are now 120 days and we're not able to dance. <laughs> like we're not able to uh, like make parties and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're still hanging on there. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing stuff, but it's not the same because people cannot go out like easily. Definitely. You know what? I was looking for some Spanish podcast to listen to. And 
I don't want to like lose my Spanish, you know, because I'm not having a Spanish conversation every single day. So I was like, okay, what can I do to like keep up with my skills? And one of my friends recommended a podcast. I don't, I forgot the name of it, but I just randomly clicked on a podcast. And in that podcast, they're talking about how the COVID-19 was affecting the older population in Argentina, in Buenos Aires and stuff like that. Because here in Buenos Aires, um, most of the people is like Italian or French or stuff. And they came mm-hmm. here from the war. Now we have a, like a, an older population. So they live in the buildings and stuff. And there are a lot of them. So mm. they have their kids in the countryside. Like they have family here in the country, mm-hmm. but they're not leaving altogether. So... You see in the streets, like they are going out to buy like the paper news and stuff and mm-hmm. they shouldn't, but they're still older people. So it's really hard because they don't have someone else to do this, the things for them. So it's really, really bad right here with them. It's like really complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to see uh, the pandemic through different countries, you know, like we saw what happened in Italy, we saw what happened in Spain, and then what's happening now in Brazil and Argentina and some of the uh, developing countries, you know, so, but yes, (laughs) United States isn't considered a developing country, but the way (laughs) we're handling the pandemic makes, maybe we should, we should, we should get pushed back down to developing country because it's crazy. But it's really surprising for me, like United States right now. I, I thought it was going to be different. Like I have friends over there. They haven't stopped working and everybody's on the streets and you can go to a bar. You can go to a mm-hmm. restaurant. We can't do that. We have only delivery and stuff and we're still like having bad numbers. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it's happening that over there, but... It's because here in America, we have this thing that's called freedom. And when we have freedom, (laughs) we can defy health officials to uh, to maintain the freedom that our founding forefathers died for. No, I'm just kidding. But (laughs) (laughs) well, here we we get um, a penalty if you go out and you don't have this special permission like you have to have a paper that you're Mm. an essential worker or are you buying food and groceries you have to be like 500 meters around Mm. your home so it's not that easy i'm like super surprised about the united states yeah i mean there's good things living here for sure the economy and things like that but This whole, I mean, if you go back into the history of how the country was founded, it was founded on killing Native Americans and then slavery with African Americans. And then that is like what this land was built on. This is what the country was built on top of, you know, that's our foundation. And so what we're seeing now is really not a surprise when you take a look and see what was done to even give birth to the country that is known as the United States now. So, but this is not a political podcast. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been a crazy 2020. And it was March that we finally got a chance to to dance. And I remember we got a chance to dance a little bit before my surgery. 
it was like yes. really close before. Did I see you after my surgery or you were already gone? No, we couldn't. I was, you were having surgery, I think on a Friday, right? Yeah. Friday the 13th. And I, yeah. And I went to Dallas for the weekend for, cause my friend was, she was pregnant and I was going to visit. And then I mm -hmm. came back on Sunday night and I came here on Monday morning. So I couldn't. Mm, and the flight was Monday uh, morning, so you couldn't come back. Yes, yeah, I remember now. Yes. But we danced like in a park, uh, mm -hmm. like four days before your surgery or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember. It was fun with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. She was there. I danced with her as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been a crazy year, but um, you're here on the podcast. We're here to talk about you, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about yeah. <laughs> us and what we've been up to and things like that, you know? So in the dance world, I didn't really even know who you were until you came to Texas. <laughs> and Pierre told me that you were coming. He's like, hey, you have to dance with her. And I'm like, okay, we can dance and things like that. And it was really cool. And so for the people on the podcast now who have never heard of you, can you let them know what you did in the dancing before the pandemic? So what were you doing? Um, and then we'll, after that, we'll go into how you got started into dance. Okay. So before the pandemic, I went to the States to train with um, you, with Audi, Pamelita, and I wanted to have a different experience from the Latin, like the South American countries. And I get, I got there just to train and I found a lot of people, like really nice people that helped me. And I was giving like some worships and stuff. Mm -hmm. And before that, here in Argentina, I was teaching Urban Keys and Tarrasho. And also I was teaching Kisomba, but as a assistant. Mm -hmm. Actually, and I was like, speci I'm specialized like in body control. And before that, I went to some festivals and congress and stuff. Mm -hmm. But now we have all of that like in pause. <laughs> yeah, all that's been suspended. And it's really interesting because like you see some parties and stuff like that where there people are dancing and then like a few weeks later, oh, there's there's cases linked to Latin dance events and stuff like that. Yes. So it's crazy. And Spain, I was seeing a lot of dancing and now the numbers are up again. Mm. They rise again. And I think they're going to quarantine again. Like yeah. isolations. I saw some videos in France as well with some festivals and stuff like that happening. And so I'm a pretty sure we might see <laughs> some cases as well. It's crazy. Like I get that people miss dancing, but it's just yeah, crazy. We all, we all miss dancing, and but we have to hang on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And the longer we don't do what we're supposed to do, the longer we're going to have to do it and we won't be able to dance longer, you know? Yes, that's uh, right. That's right. It's crazy. But um, <laughs> for the people that are listening to the podcast right now, I was I have to really before we get into your dance history, because I was really surprised dancing with you here, because obviously, like uh, I've been teaching in the States and in Europe, and it's been really interesting over the five, six past years where we've seen urban kids and Kizomba grow from Europe to North America, there's some couples in India, and then it's going to Asia, in Korea, and Japan, and China, and is also in Australia. But South America 
is also like starting to have events for festivals and things like that for Kizomba. And that's really interesting to see as well. But from North America, we didn't really know that many people who danced uh, Kizomba in South America. I think Pierre was like kind of the first person that we knew that like was from uh, Venezuela, you know. And it was yes. really interesting because obviously it's like, okay, well, maybe these people don't know that much and maybe they haven't had that many opportunities to learn and things like that. So they're traveling and all that is really good. But I have to admit that I was very impressed with your Tara show skills. And <laughs> for the people who are listening, you have to dance Tara show with Isabel. It's crazy. She was leading me and I was like, I didn't even know what my body was doing anymore. And it was pretty awesome. And I know that you taught the workshop here with uh, Dancer Curacao here in Austin. Um, I wasn't able to go because I think I was traveling to teach somewhere. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you get a chance to take a class from her or dance with her, Tada Show, you will not be sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so sweet. Yes, we were like, when I got there in the States, everybody was like, you're from Venezuela. The first thing they thought when I say Venezuela, like really fast, they say Minnesota. And I was like, no, Venezuela, <laughs> Venezuela. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I told them like, yeah, we, we do have Kisoma and we do know about Urban Case and Tarrasho. Maybe we don't have a lot of picture comments, uh, coming here because the travel, the flight, the, the organization, yeah. they are not that big as they are in the States or in Europe, mm-hmm. but we still have teachers. Like uh, I, I've seen here, like Sara Lopez, um, Christopher Menka, Tony mm-hmm. Pirata, Felician, Asedin. And last time was like Curtis y Carola. And mm-hmm. so we have teachers coming. There are, there are not as many as we wish. But this here is growing. We have people dancing in Peru. Pierre now is in Peru. We have Manuel in Chile, Julie in Uruguay. We have a lot of teachers in Brazil. Uh, even they have like a lot of kind of dances, like really different from us, but they still have urban kids and Kisomba teachers. And we have a lot, like five or six teachers in Colombia. So we do have people that dance and teach and stuff. We need like more people to know, like to share the, the, that we dance here and mm-hmm. we want to travel. We want to share with all the people in the world, <laughs> our passion, but it's like really hard. So maybe that's why people don't know that we're dancing here. For sure. Definitely. And of course the economics are definitely different in South yes, America compared totally to different. the yeah. US and in Europe for sure. Yes. And Europe is really easy to travel uh, in the countries. Like you can go from Germany to France and stuff right here. If I want to go to Chile is the same price as like you go to Europe between four countries distance. So mm. it's really more expensive and it's really hard right now. So it's even with- tough to travel within South America. Yes, it is like mm. really, really, really hard. It's crazy. Yeah, we have to get better. <laughs> mm, for sure. Okay, so let's go into our time capsule and let's talk <laughs> about how you first started into dance when okay, you were a little girl. So I was five years old and my mother took me to an 
like kind of a club in my hometown where they gave flamenco classes. And I was attracted by like the sound on the, with the flamenco shoes made with mm-hmm. the boards and the costume were really big and colorful. So I really liked it. I was like five years old. That That's all what I see. And I never stopped dancing since then, but it was my mother who, t- who took me over there to dance. Mm-hmm. So your mother took you there, you saw the flamenco dancers and they were stepping and doing their rhythms with the ground, yes. with their feet, <laughs> and they were singing. So what happened next? Did you start taking classes? Did your mom take classes? Did you guys take classes together? <laughs> no. No, my mother took me to classes, but I, I take classes. I took classes like for with my whole life. I was, mm. even when I travel here, I was still going to dance flamenco. I never mm-hmm. stopped doing that. And while I was like 17 years old, 18 years old, I started the Latin dances. In Venezuela, mm-hmm. everybody dance salsa, but it's not the same as like you dancing salsa with your family and stuff, or like you go to in school. Mm-hmm. So I got to a salsa school and I did five years of salsa casino that is kind of a Cuban style. Mm-hmm. And then I started in the company and then I train with um, Los Angeles on, on two salsa, but it's mm-hmm. a different style of salsa. Mm-hmm. And then I travel here. So I had like, uh, between that ballet classes and jazz was I was a little, a little girl. How old were you when you were taking the ballet and jazz classes? I was 12 years old. Cause I remember my mother didn't want me to go when I was really little. Cause uh, she thinks that, the legs change. Like if you're a ballet dancer, since you're really little girl, your legs change, like the, the body change. So she mm-hmm. was afraid that my body changed a lot with the ballet. So mm-hmm. I had to be like, she wanted me to be like 12 or 13 years old. Not that little. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So before we continue and we talk about uh, your dance journey, you mentioned salsa and you live in <laughs> Venezuela and yeah. I have to bring up the conversation that we had when you were back in Argentina and your roommate or whatever was listening to Los Adolescentes. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of the song? It is I don't remember the name. Yeah, that was the song. And so... I learned salsa in Houston and salsa romantica was like the really good salsa, you know, like um, <laughs> Los Adolescentes, uh, Mark Anthony, Hector Lavoe. Um, yes. There are some other singers that I can't remember right now, but the salsa romantica is really, really, really classic. Like these songs are like probably 30 years old now. Yes. Maybe, probably more. Like more, really more. old. Mm-hmm. And they still like, inspire a lot of nostalgia in me and i want you to share your thoughts on los adolescentes okay so los adolescentes was a group salsa group from venezuela they Mm -hmm. called uh, they had that name because they were really young when they started uh, singing and playing music right so we all grew up in venezuela with that group like Mm -hmm. los adolescentes everybody know their songs 
they can sing the songs. We have it on the on the weddings, on the <laughs> baptisms, on the parties, all the time. Like we cannot, and everybody knows Los Adolescentes. Even my mm -hmm. roommate that you hear from him, the music, he he doesn't dance really much. Like mm. not at all. Like he's a Venezuelan guy, but he doesn't dance. But but he knows the Adolescentes and he knows all the songs. Mm -hmm. all of them and he can sing that so it's kind of a tradition over there so you ask a venezuela girl or guy or whatever he's gonna know los adolescentes definitely yes they are the best right mm -hmm. well so i was bringing it up because on the phone call that we had you mentioned that you danced salsa in 17 but i guess It's good that you talk about the tradition because just because you're exposed to salsa music doesn't really make you a salsa dancer. And for me, yeah. like I got introduced to salsa with dance, but over there, it's like just like the culture. It's just what you are around when you grow up. And since these people were like a really big, famous people from Venezuela, everybody just knows who they are, but that doesn't mean that everybody is dancing, you know? So it'd be like the same thing of Celia Cruz in Cuba, in Cuba or... Uh, a Gran Combo de Puerto Rico, or yes. if you're from Mexico, you know, Selena, like everybody's going to know yeah. those songs, but not everybody is like dancing to those songs, you know? Yeah, it's right. The same. Like yeah, I have friends that doesn't, that do not dance like salsa, but they mm -hmm. know the song and they can like move a little bit because mm -hmm. they have the rhythm inside, but that's it. Mm -hmm. But they're going to know the song and they're going to know the group. So definitely. Okay, so you grew up in Venezuela, adolescentes, but you didn't learn salsa <laughs> until you were later because it's different from dancing and culture in South America. And let's, did you teach salsa at all? Yes, I teach like for two years. When I was like in the company, I teach like the starting levels, especially the girls. I was in the Cubana Dance Company. Mm -hmm. It's a company from Venezuela. Uh, the director is now in Spain. His name is Richard Linares. And he was like a Venezuelan guy. We used to travel a lot to Cuba. And we have a lot of Cuban people in, in Venezuela. So that influence, it was like the influence was over there. We had it and we specialize in salsa casino. Mm. It's not the same as salsa cubana. Uh, mm. We had the salsa cubana, we took it and we made a mix with our culture. So we have mm. salsa casino. So it's a different kind of salsa. That's and interesting. Then, I wasn't aware yeah. about the Cuban influence in Venezuela because yeah. Cubans were also in Angola. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew about that, but C Castro sent some troops there to help them. Um, they helped a particular party. Uh, with their independence in Angola. So that definitely influenced some of the Semba and Kizoma music. And Ooh. yeah, it's interesting to see how the influence can change, you know? And obviously the Angola, the official language is Portuguese. So you have Spanish and Portuguese influence there. And then obviously Venezuela is Spanish speaking and so is Cuba, but from different uh, countries, you know? So that's interesting. Yeah different accents and stuff and they have different mm -hmm. traditions that we had something from there, like be kind of a mix. Mm -hmm. 
And the same thing kind of happened with uh, Brazil. How far is Brazil from Argentina? Uh, I, 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 I don't have a map are, open. Uh, I can have it here, but I think it's or like four Venezuela. hours. Oh, Driving? from Venezuela? From Venezuela, it depends from where you are. Like if it's my hometown, we have like two days by car. Mm. But we are from Brazil, maybe. Let me see. Because I know Brazil, obviously Brazil is very interesting because their official language is Portuguese and the rest of the country, they all speak Spanish, if I'm not mistaken, yeah? Like the, I'm sorry, I was like looking in the map. <laughs> is okay. it Brazil, the official language is Portuguese because they're a Portuguese colony, but obviously everything else in the continent, I believe, is Spanish speaking, yeah? <laughs> yes, we're, the rest of us, we're Spanish speakers. Mm. So we are in 17 hours by car from Buenos Aires to the limit to Brazil. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that Brazil was obviously where Brazilian Zouk was born, but that was a whole mix of Caribbean Zouk and other things that are happening going on there as well. So yeah, they have a lot of dances, like they have all the kind of style, their own dances. So it's, um, it's uh, something like curious, I don't know how to say, but they don't dance a lot of salsa or mm -hmm. bachata because they mm -hmm. have their own dances. So yeah, I've been they, interviewing they're some, not used to that. Yeah, I've been interviewing some people from Brazil and they have uh, Samba de Gafeira, they have mm -hmm. Samba, they have Fojo, they do Tango, and they have a lot of folkloric dances that are kind of close, more closely related with the Portuguese uh, yes. folkloric dances, but it's interesting being in South America and salsa being huge in Venezuela, in Venezuela and Colombia, but not so much in Brazil. And then obviously you have tango in, in Argentina as well. So it's interesting to see all of these different partner dances come from the continent of South America, you know? Yes, we have a, we have a lot. And also, um, I also think that maybe the Brazilian people do not dance salsa because we have a different language. So it's not the same. You cannot, you, you can't connect the same way as mm. you can understand the music. So not for everybody. So they have salsa, but when they are little, they, they listen to Samba de Gafieiro. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they're not used to it. Very interesting. So let's go into how you got introduced into Kizomba. You mentioned that you already started teaching and oh yeah, I forgot to ask you, did you teach flamenco at all? Yes. I, the, the thing that I teach the most was flamenco. I was mm. having my first class official like class teaching class uh, when I was 16 years old and I already had to train with the teachers and stuff for two years. And my director, like my, yeah, she told me like, well, it's time. So now she saw me on the holes and stuff, like teaching the little girls and the people from lower levels. And she was like, you like this. So let's to train you. She trained me for two years. And then she sent me to the classes. Like I started teaching when I was 16 and I stopped when I came here when I was 25. So mm. I had like when nine When you say years came here, came where? Came to Argentina? Argentina, Argentina. Okay. Yes. Yes. 
So, well, I start with the Kisomba because I was dancing flamenco. I was teaching four hours a day, training three hours a day, and we have also shows to do. Mm. And when you have a lot of hours with the high impact on your foot, mm. you can get pleasure, like have a lesion. Yeah, you can say a lesion. Yeah, I, I think I had that's a the right way to say it in, in English. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> great, thank you. And I had a lesion when I was on the sh before the show, mm. and I had to use tape to wrap my feet, my foot, mm -hmm. Your my feet. left foot. Yes, my feet. Oh, feet is for both, and then foot is foot. just what I had <laughs> to tape my right foot, my left foot. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And I used the tape for two days because it was hurting so much. And then I got to the doctor and he told me I had a fracture on my fourth metatarsal. Mm. And the fourth, uh, el cuarto metatarsiano. No sé yes, it, it's the same word in English, I think. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop dancing flamenco and everything for like four months. When I was like getting into the fifth month, I told him like, I'm going crazy. I need to dance something. I had to stop salsa, flamenco, and mm. I do dance like bachata and stuff, but just for hobby. And he was like, okay, you have to find something that doesn't have a high impact on your, on your feet. So I saw a Kizamba show in a salsa social. They were doing a Kisomba show so they more people can know Kisomba. And I saw that and I was like, that's really slow and soft. That's good for me. So I took a video. I show, showed the video to the doctor and he told me like, you can do this <laughs> without the heels. Mm. So I started dancing Kisomba. The first day I told the teacher like I need private classes because I was like used to dance a lot. So I didn't want to waste too much time like going just two hours a week and, or something so i start dancing like two or three hours a day and then i never left that i was like in love with the kisomba nice and so how did it get started with you like getting better at kizomba and then eventually teaching kizomba okay so i was in venezuela at the moment I couldn't dance flamenco, so I had like five, six hours a day that I was uh, usually doing flamenco that now I have free time. So I put it into the Kisomba world because I, I really like the connection. That was mm -hmm. the first thing that I liked. So I started to dance with my teacher and he was like, well, you're really good at balance and technique. So he started to give me more and more classes. Then I went to the school And he was like using me to teach. I wasn't teaching, but I was doing like the assistance. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. After one year, he told me like, you can, you could teach the beginner ladies, like the followers, how to step, or you can teach your technique, like dance technique. So we all have to train that. And it's just not Kisomba. It's like for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I start over there. And after like, three months or something, I had to come here. Like I traveled to Argentina to live here. Then I came here and I mm, 
went to socials and stuff, and I started teaching with a, a randomly with a, a teacher was Marcelo, Marcelino, and then after that, my teacher from Venezuela came here, and we start teaching here together. I wait. Uh, I wanted to wait until I have my first uh, study of instructorado. How, how do you? I call that. Yeah, you, you're waiting to take like some type of instructor training, yeah? Yeah, and I took it with Carola and Curtis. Mm-hmm. And after that, I just started it on my own. Like, I was doing that with him, like teaching couple then, like couple Kizomba and Urban Kiss. And then I started like a follower technique per uh, course and for my own, like by myself. Mm-hmm. Nice. I know the instructor training thing can be kind of hit or miss sometimes in the Kizomo world. Yes. Um, yes. Because there isn't like really good fleshed out uh, pedagogies and curriculums that are out there to like train people. You know, everybody's just kind of like learning and trying to learn their best. But uh, I don't think we've got to the level yet where we, we can have those like schools and curriculums that are built from like two solid couples, you know, and like, of course, Carola, Curtis and Carola are doing their thing. I think Felician and Isabel have done their thing. Uh, Ricardo and Paula from Portugal, Afro-Latin Connection also have it. But I mean, there's only so much you can learn from like a weekend or a few days versus like being under their wing for like a few months, you know, it's going to be completely different, you know? Yes, of course. I think the same. So that's what I was doing. I was like going to the festivals. So I took classes with Alvir. I took classes with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Audi, with Pamelita, with Juani. So now I'm taking classes with Liliana. So I'm trying to stay, keep studying. So um, I want to upgrade, like get mm-hmm. better all the time. For sure. It's very interesting because... And you can let me know your thoughts on this because I feel like in South America, like like I mentioned before, so many partner dances are coming from there. You know, there's salsa, uh, there's tango, there's Brazilian zouk, and tango as well. And I feel like these dances are definitely a little bit older, but it's interesting to see how much training goes into the dance to even become an instructor in South America, you know, like I was talking to some of the Brazilian people and they say they have to be an assistant for like five years before they can even become an instructor. And then from there, like you now you can start to teach the students and things like that as well. And it makes sense. They're teaching multiple dances and things like that as well. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like being in South America and seeing that dance and maybe even some of what your training was in flamenco uh, into now your training for for kids. Yes, now I always say that that I see in Kisamba world that people is dancing and like they miss sometimes the technique because mm. we hear all the time this is tradition, like a mm. traditional dance. And then that's right. That's correct. And I'm, I, I'm agree with that. But if you are teaching something, you have to have technique. Like you have to dance, like you have to have a, un abanico, like. A fan? Like, yes. Like not, not a fan. Like you have or to a have range. a range of dances and mm-hmm. knowledge 
to teach. You cannot yes. teach if you don't have pedagogy. It's not the same if you're a good dancer or if you're teaching. We have mm. different kind of people. We have different ages. It's not the same teaching 12 years old girls or boys or teaching 40 years old people. This You have to have a different language, a different tone. And even you have to know if they're doing this for a hobby or if they're doing this because they want to work on this. So mm -hmm. it's different things. I think we miss that we have in salsa or in bachata, in flamenco, in tango, we have a lot of people that is really prepared. And in Kisomba, because we're like few, where Kisomba is not that big as salsa. The world is not that big right now. I think it's going to be, but it's a newer dance. dance like it's younger. So we're missing that. People is missing the technique the pedagogy, like mm -hmm. the knowledge. And that's what, when I see the difference, I see Liliana's technique. I see Lydia Paredes technique is different. Mm. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm saying that if we're going to teach, you need something more than being a good dancer. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really a whole different undertaking when okay, let's say you're a really good dancer and now it's like, okay, now how do I explain what I'm doing and how do I develop a system to recreate and develop the skills that I'm using to dance in the same way, you know? And so you really have to think about like the core moves and the weight transfer and the bad habits and the good habits and how do you reinforce those and all these kind of things, you know? So it's, it's really interesting, but And I don't, I, there was this one instructor uh, that I interviewed last week. His name is Guy and he was doing a, a Facebook live video and he was talking about the etymology, which is like the study of the root of the word technique. And yes. he said, by definition, this is just, it means like, Hey, this is the proper process to do something in a desired way. So whether your dance is Afro house or Kizomba or Semba or Urban Kids, like I think everybody wants to know an efficient process to do something in a desired way. So it doesn't have to be like this negative connotation of like, oh, the technique doesn't have any feeling or sabor or flavor or anything like that. It's just yes. the desired or way. Flow. So if, yeah. uh -huh, if you have, if your desire is flow or flavor or anything like that, then it's still technical. It's still just an efficient way of getting there, you know? Yes. And if you're able to teach that, like the, the process, then you, you're going to make it. <laughs> Definitely. So after all of your studies that you've had so far, uh, do you have a particular style of kids that you like the best? Yes, I do. I, I really like dance, dancing all the styles. Like I love all of them, but I am... Now I'm going more to the Tarrasho and the Urban Key side, but mm -hmm. I'm still loving the Semba and the Kisomba and everything. If someone take me out to dance and I'd say, do you want to dance too? I will say, I'm not good at it. I'm trying, but I, I love it. So for now it's Tarrasho and Urban Keys, but mm -hmm. I, I dance everything that I can dance. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's awesome. So hopefully once 
we get this COVID-19 situation under control, we can start having events and things like that, you know? It'll be cool to start to dance again and things like that. But this is definitely going to be interesting to see the the landscape of certain countries, you know, because like a lot of businesses have closed forever that have been open for a long time. Dance studios have closed. And yes. obviously this is affecting people along the way. So it'll be interesting to see how we start to come back and if people are going to like maybe rush back and understand that like, oh, this is something that means a lot to me or maybe like, oh, I realized that I actually have a passion for something else. And so now I'm passionate about this thing and not dance anymore. So it's interesting to see how everybody's journey has been with uh, handling the pandemic, you know? Yeah, a lot of people is going to be, I think it's going to be afraid, but we have to find a way, the process um, or the way, just a way to, make people feel more confident so they can go back to dance. Like we all want to dance again. We all want to share. It's not just the movement. It's just the connection and talking with the people. There's a friendship and stuff. So I think we're going to find a way for the people to come back and dance and feel more confident from like, they're not going to be sick or something. So we're, mm. we're not going to be able to assure that until we have like a vaccine or something, but we're going to make, the effort because we all want to go back to dance. Definitely. So Mrs. Isabel, uh, would you like to share <laughs> with our listeners any upcoming projects that you have? Yes, but all my projects are coming after like the quarantine is over. For mm -hmm. now I'm just giving online classes and I'm going to do an online um program for Tarrasho, I think next month we're, we're doing that right now, but, uh, I'm going to be at the emotion kiss festival is in Chile where, where you're all invited. Chile is having a festival is going Alvir and it's going Ricardo and Paula as well. They're going to be doing an instructor, instructorado. Mm -hmm. and, and instructor um, training. Yeah, that's it. I'm also going to the um, Santiago Kiss Kisomba weekend. He, the guy is doing is Manuel Arce. You can find that on Instagram. It's a special weekend with the um, people from Peru. Pierre is going. I think Marigabi Lopez, Maga Lopez is going as well. Mm -hmm. Orlando Vence. So we're going all of like the head teachers from the countries are going over there. And um, I'm really excited to go back to the courses, like presence, face-to-face. -face. How do I say? Like, like in-person classes, yeah? Yeah. After the quarantine is over, I'm going to be here teaching. I think for at least two months more because I have to do some paperwork and stuff. So I'm going to be here. So that's for now. <laughs> Definitely. So if people are interested in your online Tarasho class, what should they do to find out about that? Where should they follow you? Okay. If you go to Instagram, to my Instagram account is Isabel. And my last name is A-J-M-A-D. It's all together, Isabel Ahmad. And you can uh, text me like through the private message or something. And as well on Facebook is the same name. And I will answer. Sweet. Hi there. Awesome. 
Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, Isabel. And it was good to catch up with you again and hear about your story. And as you know, I like to finish my podcast with an inspirational quote. So what do you have for us? Okay, I have it on Spanish. I tried to translate it, but it's more can perseverance and practice than talent. So you can always achieve what you want. Even if you see other people that it's more talent than you, you, if you do it with perseverance and practice, you can get there. Mm-hmm, definitely. It's, it's interesting with dance because you're always a student, you know, and it takes a time. And so obviously you're going to have ups and downs and get frustrated and yes. things like that. Um, but being consistent and persevering is definitely really, really important to continue to push through. Uh, after years and years of dance. And my mind right now is even going into a little bit of self-awareness. If you know that it's going to be something that you're really passionate about, I think one area that we can all improve on is learning what is the best way that we are able to absorb information, you know? Because I feel like sometimes some people can get frustrated because they're not absorbing the information or finding the information that helps their learning style. And obviously if you're getting frustrated with learning, then you're not going to repeat that inf- that process <laughs> yeah. again, you know? So the learning process is definitely difficult, but it can be even more difficult if you're not learning in a efficient way, you know? So if you have a light bulb moment or you find out that, Hey, this, this instructor broke this down in a way that was really clear, try to dig a little bit deeper and see what's happening and what's inspiring that light bulb moment or what's inspiring you to like understand. So that way, when you continue to learn, you know how to replicate those things. And so it'll just advance your learning faster, you know? Yes. I think we all have different ways to learn. Some people is through the voice. Some people you have to touch them like with mm-hmm. the contact. Some people mm-hmm. are like just visual. So we have different ways and you have different process. So it, once, once you find the way that is better for you from there, you're going up, up, up. Definitely. And then once you start to see the progress, since you're learning in an efficient way, then they're just going to motivate you to keep learning more, you know? And then we have yes. more talented dancers in the, in the scene, you know? Yes, we are more and more. We need to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay, Isabel. Well, I will let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And I hope you have a good, wonderful day. Thanks to you, Charles. You were so sweet with me. Thank you for your invitation. And I love you so much. See you 2021, of course. Definitely. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Signature